or welcome church. Pick your preference. <laughs> it's wonderful to see you guys. If you would stand with us, I'm just going to pray. Kevin, you want to give us a little background music? That'd be awesome. We're just going to pray as we enter into a time of worship. Thank you for being here. We're so glad you're here. Welcome. God, thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for these wonderful people that you've brought together this morning to worship you. Such a beautiful opportunity to come together as one heart and one voice to lift your name up because you're so worthy. God, we are so grateful for the opportunity to do this. This is special. We love to worship you throughout our week, but there's something special about coming together with the people of God, the family of God, and worshiping together. So God, we just thank you for this opportunity. We're grateful. Just take a pause to release all the tension of the week, of this morning, of just everything that's weighing on us this morning. God, we just wanna fix our eyes on you this brief pause from the craziness of life that we live. And you're always with us, but this is a special moment. So we just pause. If you would, just take a deep breath in and out. God, he gives us breath, amen? The word spirit in Hebrew and Greek actually means breath. Interesting, interesting imagery. He's our life. He's our breath. Lord, we thank you for the life that you've blessed us with, that we get to use our breath to worship you. Amen. Amen. Let's do it this morning. Just 
As I prepare to enter this time of worship, the Lord who loves us says in Ezekiel 37, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Let us declare together, he has done it. Amen.
the journeys where you are. You never wanted perfect, you just wanted my heart. And the story isn't over if the story isn't good. Cause failure's never final when the father's in the room. Failure's never final when the father's in the room. shame at the door cause it ain't welcome anymore Ooh, you're in the father's house let's declare this truth together prodigals come home and helpless find home is on the move when the father's in the room the prison doors fling wide oh the dead come to life the love is on the move when the father's in the room miracles take place and the cynical find faith the love is breaking through when the father's in the room Jericho walls Waking. Strongholds now are shaking. Love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. I said, Love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. Ooh, lay your burdens down. Ooh, here in the Father's house. Check your shame at the door. shame at the door cause it ain't welcome anymore ooh you're in the father's house amen praise him Yeah. 
one more time, just the voices. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Amen.
Amen. Thank you all so very much. We need to get you a bag. Um, I couldn't help but think when we were singing Reckless Love, just before we enter into a time of prayer, which we're going to do in just a moment, um, I remember when that song first came out, and there was a lot of, like, I don't know, I guess you could say debate on people pushing back against calling God reckless and comparing God um, to, to someone who is reckless. And I remember carefully thinking about that because I, at first I was like, yeah, I can see that. I can see where that could be troubling and, and might lead some astray to thinking something about God that's not actually true. But then I think where I, where I landed is in just dwelling in this truth that God continues to come back over and over again. And to us... If we're talking about us responding to another person, coming back to them over and over again, no matter how many times we've been let down, hurt, disappointed, frustrated, right? But God continues to come back into us in our very human eyes and ways of thinking. It feels reckless. It feels reckless to us because we imagine, well, I just couldn't keep doing that. That would be reckless. And so I understand the tension there and, and kind of the, the concern of some, but what I want us to dwell in this morning, I want you to know that as we enter into a time of prayer, you are praying to a God who radically loves you. He loves you in radical ways, and there's nothing you can do about his love for you. He loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. You can run from it. You can hide from it. You can reject it, and he's still going to keep loving you. He's never going to stop pursuing you. That's the God to whom we pray this morning. And just in case you feel the most unworthy to approach this loving, gracious, merciful God. I want you to boldly, you hear me? Boldly approach his throne, not because you deserve to be there and because he better listen to you because you deserve to be heard, but I want you to approach his throne in boldness, knowing that he sees you and he loves you. And he longs to hear from you. Let's pray. High King of heaven, who are we that you could love us? God, we are not trying to induce shame upon ourselves this morning. As we, as we sang moments ago, we, we're not welcoming shame into this place. And yet we are very well aware of how good and how gracious and how loving and how perfect you are. And how we so often emulate those qualities. We're never perfect. We could never be perfect. But God, so often we fail to be who you've called us to be. 
And God, we, we recognize this morning that we are flawed, that we are frail, that we are at times misguided. And yet, in your kindness, and in your mercy, and in your love, you continue to pursue us. God, we thank you for the love that you extend toward us that in our eyes may be seen as reckless because there's no way we could do it. And yet you do. So God, I pray this morning that we would all rest in knowing that we are in the presence of the high king of heaven who sees us as his beloved. God, I pray this morning that you would draw near to those in our community who are hurting and who are experiencing pain. God, we pray that you would draw near to those this morning, right here, right now, who are feeling anxious and overwhelmed. God, you see them, you know them, and you care about them. You care about the anxious thoughts that we have. God, help us to receive your burden, which is light. Help us to place our burdens at your feet. You invite us to lay those down so that you can carry them for us. God, help us to see what that means for us, what that looks like for us. God, I pray that you would draw near to those this morning who are dealing with relentless sickness. God, for some who I've spoken to, it it just seems like it never stops. It's one thing after another, and they just can't seem to get well and stay well for long. God, you see them. You know them. Would you touch them this morning? Would you strengthen their bodies? Would you give them rest? Would you give them healing and wellness, God? We pray. God, we pray for those this morning who are experiencing broken relationships. God, we understand that part of, part of this, this life means that we don't live in complete harmony and shalom and peace with one another, that that's been broken, it's been damaged, and there are times where we are very well aware of that. And so for anyone who might be here, who is listening, who is experiencing a breakdown in a relationship and and it's causing pain and hurt and sadness and frustration, God, would you be with them? You see them, you love them. God, would you bring healing and reconciliation? God, for those whose cry this morning might be that you would be our everything. God, that was heavy on my heart as we sang this morning. God, my prayer is that you would be our everything that we would not look to the things of this world to fulfill us, 
that we would not even look to people in our lives to fulfill what only you cre- what only you were meant to fulfill. God, would you be our everything? I pray that you would be my delight, that you would be my joy. both now and always. God, help us to find fullness in your love. Help us to find fullness in being called your children, your beloved. God, may that fill a longing that we all have. You're the only one, the only one who can fill that void. And so this morning we recognize that And we invite you to fill every last piece of our heart. God, as we open up your word, as always, God, we approach your word with humility and an openness, and in some cases, a trembling, because God, we just want to hear your word for your people. God, would you... Speak to us what we need to hear from your Holy Spirit today. God, would you anoint my words? May they be yours. May I preach these words carefully with love and with grace, with humility. And God, help us to receive in the same way this morning. God, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, if you are just now joining us today, or if it's been a while, I want you to know that we have been journeying through the Gospel of Luke for 18 weeks now, to be exact. We are on week 18 um, in our series, The Gospel of Luke, and maybe some of you are over it at this point, and you're just ready to talk about something else. Um, I don't, I mean, we're talking about Jesus, but you know, maybe you're just ready for a change of scenery. Um, And I just want to encourage you that I think it's been good for us to slowly walk through the Gospel of Luke, emphasis on slowly as we open ourselves up to the life and teachings of Jesus, as we seek to be people who emulate the life and teachings and love of Jesus. And so we're going to continue doing that this morning. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in Luke chapter 18. I'm going to invite you, if you are able and comfortable, if you would stand as we read Luke 18 verses 9 through 14 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. 
He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, this is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I imagine that this parable is familiar to you. I would imagine that for many of us, this is a familiar parable. However, as I read this week, as I studied this week, I I was reminded that this is a parable that is oftentimes misunderstood. That a lot of times we we walk away from this parable understanding things that maybe Jesus didn't intend for us to understand. And I was so thankful for the reminder this week that there are many cautions that we ought to consider as we open ourselves up to this parable and seek to learn from what Jesus is trying to say. He's telling a story. Remember what we said last week? He's, He's telling a story and he's telling it in a way that helped the original hearers, the original listeners to hear a particular word from Jesus. He's using characters and examples in this story, in this fictional story that are familiar to them. And oftentimes when he is doing that, the story ends in ways that they didn't see coming and in ways they didn't expect. And he flips their worldview upside down as he seeks to use familiar imagery and people to teach something new. And so that's what we see here. But a lot of times, again, we walk away with a a misunderstanding of what Jesus was trying to say. And so I, I was thankful for the voice of scholars For those who understand the culture and the context and how we oftentimes harm certain cultures as we walk away from this parable. And so I'm bringing those before you this morning, and I want to share with you at least two cautions that we ought to consider as we open ourselves up to this parable and this teaching of Jesus. In other words, here are two things that I believe this parable is not doing or not aiming to do based on, and again, this is based on what we know about God, about his nature and his character as seen in Jesus, right? So the first thing that this parable is likely not aiming to do is that it's not meant to pit Jews and Gentiles against one another, there are often times where we, we are excited about the, the part in the story. The Bible is the story of God. And we are very excited when the story of God opens itself up and invites those who were outsiders inside, which is us, by the way, right? We are the outsiders. We are the Gentiles who have been invited in, and that's exciting, and we love that. But oftentimes what happens is, we end up pitting ourselves up against the insiders, against the original people of God, and we somehow elevate ourselves over them saying, no, no, that's not how we do things anymore. You're wrong. And we expect them to change an entire lifetime for generation after generation, change all that you're doing to accommodate us, 
the outsiders. And that's, that's something we have to be careful about. And so we don't think, I don't think that Jesus intended to pit, pit the Jews against the Gentiles. And something you might think is, well, we don't know for certain that this tax collector would have been a Gentile. I don't know that for sure. I couldn't find anything this week that, that said one thing or another. If I did, I completely uh, overlooked that. But I think what, what we likely do is we see the Pharisee, this, this Jewish religious leader, this teacher of the law, and we might automatically assume that the tax collector is a Gentile. We know for certain that he's an outsider because he's a tax collector. So whether or not he is a Jew or a Gentile, we know that he is an outsider. But I think a lot of times we can assume one or the other. And so we oftentimes will pit, as I said, Jews and Gentiles against one another. And this is dangerous. And if we're not careful, we could be contributing to anti-Jewish rhetoric that is harmful and damaging, and the people of God ought to not participate in that kind of rhetoric, right? And so we want to be very careful of that. Listen, we're reminded that Jesus was a Jewish man. His followers were Jewish. His disciples, his inner circle, they were Jewish. He is a part of the nation of Israel, which was a Jewish nation, And so to automatically elevate Gentiles over Jews and say, we're going to throw it all out, we're going to throw it all away, and we expect you to just do that right now, we have to be very careful not to do that. We understand, we respect that Luke, the gospel writer Luke, is writing probably to a primarily Gentile audience, right? In both Luke and Acts, he he is opening up the gospel, the good news of Jesus to those who are not a part of the Jewish nation, and he is reminding them, you are welcome. But we are welcome, and we come in recognizing that there is a, a sacred tradition here that Jesus is not seeking to do away with in this moment, and we want to be very careful about that. The second caution that I would give us this morning is to recognize that, that this parable is not mit, meant to pit the tax collector against the Pharisee. So first we said the, the Gentile against the Jew, but what Luke is also not doing, I think, is, is aiming to pit the tax collector against the Pharisee. I, I don't think Luke is, is aiming to say that one of these is better than the other, that one of these goes home justified and the other one goes home condemned because that language is not all there. There's some missing language here that leaves us wondering what happens next, right? And, and I think a lot of times, and I've tried to be very careful about this because we have read so many times through the gospel of Luke when Jesus has strong words of warning, caution, and even sometimes condemnation for the Pharisees and how they are missing one major component of God, right? Loving others as themselves. They've got the loving God part down. They love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and a bunch of other things, right? They, they love God with everything in them, but it's the loving the neighbor as themselves part that they often miss. And so there are so many times where Jesus is, is slowing down to urge them. He's begging them, pay attention, you're missing something so important, But what Jesus is not doing is vilifying them. The Pharisees are not the villains of the Gospels. 
And if I've ever said anything to lead you to believe that, forgive me, because I want us to be careful that yes, Jesus is teaching the Pharisees a very important message, but he's not vilifying them. The tax collector in the story is not the hero versus the Pharisee who's the villain. I don't think that's what Luke wants us to walk away with here. The Pharisees, again, can we just take a moment to acknowledge that the Pharisees, they truly love God with everything in them. They love God with everything in them. I can't help but think of, of Paul, who was formerly Saul. I'm kind of going off track here for just a second, but I can't help but think about Paul. And when we open ourselves up to Paul's epistles, do you know of a person in scripture who loves God more than Paul? I mean, he loves God. And I don't think that changed when he met Jesus. He loved God before he met Jesus. And this is what Saul believed. This is how you love God. You go and you, if you have to kill those who are following something that is not God, which is what he believed Jesus to be at first. And it wasn't until that radical encounter with Jesus, who, by the way, didn't say, you're a horrible, terrible person. Jesus looks at Saul and with endearing words, we believe he's endearing. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He knew that Saul loved God and that he thought this is what it meant to love God. And then after this radical encounter with Jesus, he changed. And so we have to, I want to, us to kind of admire and respect the reverence the Pharisees had for God. And we'd certainly see this dichotomy here, this good versus bad dichotomy, that someone has to come out on top and someone has to be on the bottom. Someone comes out as the hero and someone leaves as the villain. That's, I don't think that's what Luke wants us to take away here. Because friends, listen, we know the disciples, we see them, we know their stories, and they are capable of misguided thinking just as much as the next guy. And we... Can we acknowledge that we are capable of misguided thinking and this could easily be us? Sometimes this is us. And so we acknowledge that. We acknowledge the tension here that maybe the good versus bad that we, that we see at first, but both things can be true. That might make some of you uncomfortable, but I'm finding a lot of comfort in that both things can be true kind of tension that the Pharisees were obeying the laws loving God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also failed to open themselves up before God, humbly listening to God. And so with these cautions in mind, we can kind of move forward and recognize that what's happening in this parable is that two people are coming to the temple there are two characters in this story who are coming to the temple and both are seeking to be made right with God. That's what they're both seeking. That's what they're both hoping to find. They are looking to be made right with God. I don't think the Pharisees set out to frustrate God in this moment. He's seeking to be made right with God. He longs to be made right with God. And as he is 
seeking to be made right with God as the tax collector is seeking to be made right with God, Luke's wording reveals a lot, doesn't it? Luke's wording reveals that the problem with the Pharisee as he was seeking to be made right with God is that he was confident in not God's righteousness, maybe some, because he is thanking God. He's offering thanksgiving to God. I think that's genuine. God, thank you. But then he turns it around really quickly and and focuses on some self-righteousness that I am not like, right? Luke's wording here tells us that the Pharisee is confident in his own self-righteousness and his own righteousness that it causes him to look down on others. And that's the problem. That's where the problem lies in this passage. In other words, it's, it's easy to imagine that the Pharisee is saying along the lines, it's almost like he's communicating to the tax collector in his prayers to God that God, that if you don't do these things, you're not good enough. That's what he's communicating in one way or another. If you don't do what I do, you're not good enough. God, I thank you that I am not like this tax collector who in my mind is a dirty, rotten scoundrel. That's maybe the unspoken here. Maybe. God, I thank you that I am not like thieves who are dirty, rotten scoundrels. God, I thank you that I am not like the adulterers. They're dirty, rotten scoundrels. Let's make it a little more personal, although we we probably would agree with those. God, I thank you that I am not like this girl over here who dresses provocatively. God, I thank you that I don't swear because I find that so offensive, and I just thank you, God, that I'm not like people who swear. God, I thank you that I am not someone who cheats. God, I thank you that I am not like those misguided people who don't boycott the same places I do. Help them to see the error in their ways. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that I am not like the Democrats. Oh, ooh, just got personal. It's funny, but not funny, right? God, I thank you that I am not like the Democrats. Bless their heart. God, I thank you that I am not like Republicans. God, I thank you that I'm not like those in the LGBTQ community. God, I thank you that I am not like those who have gotten an abortion. God, thank you for making me so great. God, I thank you that I am not like fill in the blank of who you find detestable because that's what's happening here. The tax collector was detestable to the Pharisee. Think a mobster. He was detestable. And if we're not careful, we at times can be just like him. Where in our our pride and in our self-righteousness, we put down others who aren't like us who don't look like us, who don't live like us, who don't believe like, like us. 
And there's quite the difference here, isn't there, between the Pharisee who sees the tax collector as a dirty, rotten scoundrel. There's quite the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector who already knows he's a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He already knows. Guess what? Those who you find detestable, those who you can't stand because of the sin in their lives and the way that they live that is so contrary to the word of God, I would be willing to bet that they are already aware of this about themselves. Maybe not always. But this tax collector already knew. He didn't need the Pharisee to remind him of how awful he was. He already felt it. But I bet it didn't help. As the only words he can muster, as I want you to imagine, have you ever been there where you come before God and you can't even look up? He hangs his head. He can't even look up. And he beats himself on the chest a sign of deep remorse, deep sorrow and grief. And the only words he can muster, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I messed up. I see everything that is wrong with me. God, have mercy on me. He was very aware of his failures and sins, and his unmistakable need for God. And this is where the story takes a turn for the listeners, for the original listeners. This is where things go differently than what they would have expected. As Luke says, or as Jesus rather says, that this tax collector is the one who goes home justified before God. He's made right with God. There would be gasps in the room audible gasps as this story has just taken an incredible turn. You know, next week we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus. It's not the next story that happens immediately after this, but it is where we're going to be next week. And I couldn't help but think about Zacchaeus as we think about this fictional tax collector in this parable. And I'm excited to, to explore that next week as it seems as if Zacchaeus almost embodies this tax collector and it's like Zacchaeus is the real-life example of, of a deeper look inside of what this tax collector may have done next. It's just all a possibility, a what-if, and I just couldn't help but, but see that this week. And so as we, as we approach this parable with two cautions in mind, I think there are at least two things which, which stand out, which stood out to me that we can take away from this parable. And the first thing is that perhaps the reason the Pharisee didn't go home justified that day, at least not at that point, was because of the contempt with which he saw his neighbor, his fellow human, his brother, whom God saw and God loved deeply. Perhaps that's where the Pharisee went wrong when he sees his brother, his fellow flawed human, and he sees him with contempt. And it's a shame that the Pharisee wasn't a conduit of God's love that day, right? It's a shame that he didn't embody the love of God, which Jesus begged him and urged him to embody. 
as you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, another command is just as important, and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. Not see them with contempt, and rather than demonstrating God's love to the tax collector that day, the Pharisee saw an opportunity to elevate himself over the tax collector. But before we walk away from the passage with contempt for the Pharisee, we are cautioned once again. I love how Luther Seminary Professor Matt Skinner says this. It's great. He says, the parable sets a trap, you see. Whenever we want to be critical of one of the characters or distinguish ourselves and our values clearly from one of them, the parable exposes the disdain we harbor. What is the disdain, he asks? It's the manifestation of a belief that we know better than God who should receive mercy and how they should receive it. It's a parable about the humble contrition God desires versus the arrogance that poisons a life of faith and service. Church, God is not interested in your arrogance. I know that stings and that hurts because we want to think so highly of ourselves sometimes. But God does not look favorably upon your arrogance and your pride. And if you look at any fellow human, brother or sister, and by the way, I challenge you to look at them, see them. See the living person standing before you. Don't see an image that's been painted for you on social media for the love of all that is good. See the person. Look them square in the face. And help them to know that they are loved by God. Church, when we fail to do that, when we think that we are better and more deserving to be made right and justified before God, when we view the other with contempt, that is a problem. Did you hear me, church? It's a problem. And it's time that we repent and walk away from it. It's time to call it out and repent. The second thing, so the first thing, Perhaps the reason why the Pharisee didn't go home justified was because he saw his neighbor with contempt. And the second lesson I think we can take away from this parable is that the life of a faithful follower must, not should, but must include humility, self-examination, and confession. It must. Had the Pharisee entered the temple open before God, honest with himself and with God, examining his heart, acknowledging his own shortcomings, perhaps God would have pointed him toward his neighbor, toward his flawed fellow brother, fellow human. And so maybe the two takeaways are actually intertwined. I I think, and I'm Speaking very generally here, this is not a a sweeping statement, but I think that we often, we as in Christians, we often miss the importance, both privately and corporately, of self-examination and confession. I think we miss this a lot. 
And the more often we do, the more like a prideful, arrogant person we become, which is not pleasing to God. So this morning, in just a few moments, I want to give us an opportunity to practice this, to practice this self-examination and confession. But first, I want you to understand what it is, what it means. I really appreciate how Adele Alberg Calhoun describes self-examination like this. She said, it's a process whereby the Holy Spirit opens my heart to what is true about me. Notice it's not what I think is true about me. It's opening my heart to what the Holy Spirit reveals is true about me. This is not the same. You need to hear this too. This is not the same as as neurotic shame-inducing inventory. Okay? Instead, it's a way of opening myself to God within the safety of divine love so I can authentically seek transformation. That's what self-examination is. And confession, confession embraces Christ's gift of forgiveness and restoration while setting us on the path to renewal and change. In the presence of the Holy One, we give up on appearing good and fixing our own sin. Instead, we lay down our ability to change by the power of self and we turn, we turn to Jesus and we seek forgiveness. And every time we confess how we have missed the mark of God's love and truth, we open ourselves up to the mending work of the cross. Through confession and forgiveness, we live into the truth of being God's new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Finally, let me say this. When we humble ourselves, and when we open ourselves up to confession, to self-examination and confession, we are keeping company with Jesus as he helps us with how much or how little we change. We are being transformed into Christ-likeness. We are thinking of ourselves with sober judgment, aware of our blind spots, and we all have them. Amen? We're gaining insight into our temptations and God's work in our lives. And we have compassion toward others in their faults. And we see ourselves as God's loved and forgiven children, no matter what we have done. And we are living in thankfulness for God's work in our life. And we are savoring the gift of salvation. That's what you're invited to do this morning. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come. And what I want you to do, try to do this. This is hard for some of you, I understand. But I want you to assume a posture before God that is completely surrendered to him. For some of you, that's going to look like your head's down and your eyes closed. I think at the very least, that's what it ought to look like so that we are are focusing on God and God alone. For some of you, that might mean kneeling at your chair, taking a a posture of surrender and humility before God. And maybe even for some, it's stepping out and praying at these altars. But this morning, 
we're going to have an opportunity to practice self-examination and confession. Kevin, I'm going to invite you to play for us if, if you would. With every person in this room, humbly surrendering to God in your heart. I want us to pray this prayer. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. God, would you test each and every one of us and know our thoughts. You know our ways. You see our hearts. God, in this moment, we invite you. We invite you to see if there is any offensive way in me, in us. And God, we pray that as you do, that you would lead us in the way of life everlasting. This morning, as you are surrendered before God, I want you to admit to him right here, right now, I want you to acknowledge your natural propensity to rationalize, to deny, to blame, to point and to self-obsess. Holy Spirit, come. This morning, as you open yourself up and you're surrendered before God, I want you to examine, if you will, the sin network in your life as evidenced in presumptions, self-centered habits, broken relationships, and pointing out others' weaknesses. Holy Spirit, come, reveal. God, this morning as we are surrendered before you, would you acknowledge, help us to acknowledge what we see in us to be sinful habits right now. Name them, God. What is the sinful habit? God, we pray that you would replace that with a healthy one. Holy Spirit, come, reveal. This morning, I want you, as you're surrendered and open before God, to consider the sins that you are susceptible to. Those can be sins that are, are discovered in light of the seven deadly sins. Those could be sins that are seen in light of the Ten Commandments. 
Those sins can be seen and discovered in light of the prayers of confession that are found in the prayer books or of Scripture. Those sins can be acknowledged as you confess, as you journal confessions to God, as you confess to others. God, would you help us to see and acknowledge our sin? Finally, my prayer is that you would just simply open yourselves up to God, that we would humble ourselves, that we would acknowledge our frailty, and we confess this morning. Confess what it is that God has revealed to you. Express your need for God. You can't do it on your own. You can't will yourself to do better. Express your need for God to help you to be the power at work in your life. God, we confess the sins that have grieved you and that have hurt our neighbor. We confess the sins this morning, God, that make us feel good about ourselves, the sin of feeling good about ourselves and, and therefore looking down on others, not seeing them the way you do. And my final challenge, church, is that you would repent. Not only that you would ask for forgiveness, certainly that, but that you would commit to turning and walking in a different direction from this point on. God, we thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness and your love that meets us on the other side of that sin and in the moment of forgiveness. God, would you make yourself known to us in these moments as we rest in your presence and in your sovereignty. Amen. created from dust I will return Lord I thank you that I am weak because it reminds me that I need you God I thank you that sometimes on this journey I get lost in my mistakes but what looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who guides us. Whenever I forget, Lord, would you gently remind me? Amen. Let's sing this. It's going to help. You can stand.
because I'm sure there are some who are thinking, but what about those who are lost in their sin? What about those who don't see? What about those who aren't aware of their sin? I'm going to leave you, I'm going to leave you kind of hanging and in attention that before we can see and, and discern how to guide, how to lovingly point others in the direction of the forgiveness and sanctifying grace of God, there's a tension where you have to rest in God's presence, acknowledging your need for him first. And I'm just going to leave you with that. I'm not going to rush on and say, but the person who's a sinner, I I want you to first acknowledge your failures, your shortcomings, your blind spots, and just rest in your need for God. And then in time, the Holy Spirit of God, who is already working in them, by the way, will lovingly guide you to come alongside, not those who are strangers, not those whom you do not know or love, but he's going to empower you to come alongside those whom you're already walking with. Otherwise, they don't want to hear it. There are rare occasions, I'll never say never, but for the most part, you got to be in a loving, committed relationship with that person before they're going to be open to hearing what you want to say about their sin. So we're just going to rest in the grace and the goodness of God that we need first. Amen? Amen. Amen. Just a slight transition before we leave uh, this morning, before you are dismissed. I want to share with some things that are going on in our community, um, things that you can be a part of and participate in. Uh, just a few more weeks of, of collecting, which I guess just kind of one more week, really. We're heading into the last week of October, um, collecting for the shoeboxes. I don't know. At this point, I know when I sent the newsletter out earlier this week, we only needed, um, I think it was 139 notebooks and 88 washcloths to be exact. I think that's changed. I know some people have ordered already, so we'll probably end up, we'll probably end up going over, uh, but I think we're probably almost good at this point, right? But um, if you wanted, you could check with us midweek or, or next week to see if maybe we just had a few more of those left uncollected, um, but that's where we're at with, uh, with that. I want you to know that tomorrow night uh, here at BFCN at 6.30, your bulletin says 7, and that's probably because typically this has been at 7 in the past, but we did move it back to 6.30, so 6.30 tomorrow night, not 7, um, is going to be the the zone rally here at our church, Um, and you're all invited and welcomed and encouraged to come uh, because God is at work all around the world, and God has, has... has done and is doing incredible things through his faithful followers all around the world. And, and it's encouraging to know what those things are. It's encouraging to, to look outside of ourselves here in our little corner of the world and to notice what God is doing um, in the church all throughout, 
all around the world. And we'll get to hear from our own Dan and Janet about their story and their experience as, as missionaries who are serving. Um, and so I, I hope that you will come. Um, that's going to be a wonderful time together as we learn and open ourselves up to the God who still calls those to serve, right? So that's tomorrow night at 6.30. If you don't mind, some of you uh, who are able, we are going to be kind of rearranging the sanctuary for tomorrow night. So we're going to be moving out chairs. Just couldn't wait to do this again. <laughs> it's such a fun experience when we change the sanctuary. But uh, we are going to be moving out the chairs and we're going to be setting up tables. Um, I feel like I need to give maybe some direction. How many tables do, do you guys think we need set up? Stu's not in here, is he? I don't think he is. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So see, uh, Karen, if we see Stu, we'll get some guidance from him. But if you have any questions on, on how we need to do that, we'll maybe give Karen a microphone so she can help us if we're struggling to, you know, do things in an orderly fashion. She can, she can help us with that. All right, so if you don't mind staying after just for a few minutes, we would really greatly appreciate that as we set up for tomorrow night. Okay, moving right along. Lunch Bunch is this week at Eckert's at noon. Uh, for those who are able to gather with us, we hope that you can and that you will. Uh, next Sunday, October 30th, is a potluck after church. Um, you probably have already signed up for that. I know that we've been trying to get a, uh, an idea of how many are coming because the church is providing the chicken, which is great, and we're so grateful, but we need to know how much chicken we need. So if you haven't, let um, someone know that you're coming, if you would let us know so that we can have um, the right amount of food. Also, no Sunday school next Sunday because of how we have to set up for the potluck. There will be no Sunday school, okay? Um, community garden gathering that's happening in two weeks, just, just less than two weeks, November 5th, starting at 4 p.m. You're all invited to come and to participate. Yesterday, uh, a few of us gathered and we went and passed out, I think, around 250 flyers to our neighbors, just dropped them off at their door so that they know that we're having this open house where they can come and learn more about what we're doing with our community garden um, to have an idea of, of who might be participating in that. And so we're going to get to meet with them and talk with them, and then Craig's going to be able to share his vision with them and with the rest of you if you're interested. That's going to be Saturday, November 5th at 4 p.m. We're going to have some just some light food and some hot apple cider, which I got to taste this week, and it's very delicious. You're not going to want to miss out on that, okay? Homemade apple cider. And then finally, we are going to be packing those shoe boxes that we've been collecting items for the entire year since last pretty much November, I think. We're going to be packing those on November 10th here at the church at 10.30 a.m. with the homeschool group. Uh, for those of you that might be able to join us, we would love to have you. Finally, I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. Receive this benediction, brothers and sisters in Christ. May you go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior. May you go knowing that you are seen and that you are loved. May you see yourself humbly before God, opening yourselves up to him so that he can reveal himself to you. And may you see your neighbors with love and mercy and grace. Go in his peace. You are dismissed. Have a beautiful day.